The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who tied Byron Buxton in games played in center field in 2023. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And that's actually not true. Uh, every baseball podcast tied Byron Buxton. At least in the major leagues. Uh, his seven innings in St. Paul uh, is more than I played in AAA in center field. We are going to talk about Byron Buxton on this January 29th edition of Baseball Barbacast, we were actually pre-recording this on Sunday afternoon since Jake is, as we mentioned on Friday, when you were here in the same room with me, you were traveling across the pond, as they say, uh, and we didn't want to deal with time zones more than we had to, so here we are recording this on Sunday. If we get any news, we will address it. Accordingly, we are going to talk about Byron Buxton declaring at Twins Fan Fest that he is back in center field, what that means. Do we believe him? Uh, where we go from here with Byron Buxton? Uh, we're going to bounce around the winter ball. Uh, we're getting some championship results. Talk about that in the Caribbean series coming up. We have a few transactions that happened over the weekend, mostly uh, some relievers, some pitchers, uh, and then we have an extension as well. Colt Keith with the Tigers. We can maybe talk a little bit about that, but mostly we are here to talk about your emails. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Second half of the show is going to be some email responses, catching up on the mailbag. Uh, so we appreciate those emails, as always, as we wait for Scott Boris to find his free agents, the expensive ones anyway, uh, some new teams. Maybe he's on vacation. Yeah. Or, it, well, I don't know where he went. So we know he was at Adrian Beltre's house. Yeah. Um, where he went from there, who's to say? Here's a uh, question. Anyway. <laughs> what time of the year does... Scott Boris go on vacation. Um, okay, so this is an interesting topic. We've we've certainly learned as we've started working in baseball about like when baseball people log off. And the what is the answer? I mean, I guess it's different for people who work for teams versus who work in media. For an agent, I'm trying to think. Probably April. So for teams, it is like Christmas to New Year's, really. Yeah. For sure. But Boris can't do that. No, no, no. It's not the offseason. So I think April is my answer if he okay. is actually doing that. But I don't otherwise I don't really know. Like maybe like but I was going to say like, oh, contract extension discussions is bleeding it. But that's not a thing he does. <laughs> so that's not really an issue. Or as maybe some other agents, we see a lot of extensions getting done like in the back half of spring training in April. We know that's not happening for for Scott, especially once the season starts. Then he's like, especially for his guys, you know, who are a year or going to be free agency at the end of the year. He's like, don't even bother calling. This shit is over. That's a great point. That is a so, great. I think great April's point. my pick. That's okay. my pick for Scott Boris' so, vacation. Enough about Scott Boris. Let us discuss Byron Buxton. Mm. Byron Buxton is a fascinating character in our world of baseball. Second overall pick. In the 2012 draft, yep. wow, I feel ancient, <laughs> second overall pick in the 2012 draft, as about as hyped as prospects come, when he was in the minor leagues, we drove across the country to go see him, and we he was promoted by like two days, we mm -hmm. missed him, we talked to scouts at that time, Jordan, I remember, it was like Griffey level hype. But really? that's like it, from the scouting community. It's an important distinction, though, because he was obviously a big deal as an amateur, 
high schooler in Georgia, incredible athlete, whatever. But kind of like with Trout, now I know Trout was later in the first round, but it was really once he got into pro ball where people were like, holy shit, like you got to see this guy. Like as soon as he got to the complex, as soon as he was in A ball, same thing with Trout. It was like, oh my God. Now in, in Buxton's case, you know, he went second instead of first. It's not like, oh, how did he not go first? In the way that Trout, it's like, how did he go 25th? But that was the comp. And it was happening also at a sort of similar time, you know, shortly after. And it was just like, oh, my God, this dude is is a freak of freaks. And I think that also is because he's kind of from the middle of nowhere in mm-hmm. Georgia. Mm-hmm. This is not Atlanta suburbs. You know, Byron Buxton is from Baxley, Georgia. Buxton yeah. is from Baxley. I mean, That's that great. just sounds fake. Well, and his, well, and I believe his son is named Brixton Buxton, which that one I'll never, (laughs) as far as a big league, first of all, obviously we can expect that kid to be a great baseball player, but um, yeah, but Buxton, he is a, he is a country boy through and through. This is, this is uh, really from, I don't know what direction or what part of Georgia it is exactly, but he was, it also helped, you know, have kind of the, the legend, you know, you have to kind of go see him in in uh, not exactly the most high profile of places, high profile competition. But like I said, in the minors, he the legend grew very, very, very quickly because he was the fastest player basically in the minor leagues, and he had just absurd you know offensive ability. On top of that, and he gets to the big leagues by the age you know of twenty one, and it's it takes a while. You know, it the first couple of years, it was like, okay, like you see it, but is he really actually hitting that well? And that was still true even in 2017 when he breaks out, he plays 140 games, still a career high to this day, gets MVP votes, wins a gold glove, but it was a 728 OPS. And you wonder, you'd say, okay, but there's, there's another level here. There's another level. There has to be more with Byron Buxton. And then we start to see it in 2019. In 2020, when he's on the field, 2021, holy crap. It's like, this is it. We've waited all this time. He is one of the best players in baseball. But all the way, all that the whole time, from the beginning, it is a stop and start situation. The intervals are frustrating. The injuries are mounting. And we just want to see him for more than a few months at a time. Just a taste. But in 2022, he hits <laughs> 28 home runs in 92 games. Yeah. While contributing outstanding defense in center field. And we're like, this is it. Yes. 2023 is going to be the year he puts it all together. And the twins in a very unique decision, essentially pull Buxton out of center field. And they say, we're going to save his legs. And if he's going to be someone who can hit 28 home runs in 92 games, let's just have him be our DH. And exactly. so they say, we're going to DH him all year. And what happens the offense falls off a cliff. Yeah. And so then you had, and he has bits and stretches where it's like you, he's kind of finding it, but it wasn't the same thing. Now, again, right for so long, it was like, well, if he's one of the best defensive center fielders, who cares if he's, you know, striking out a bunch, not walking, OBP's down, it's inconsistent. It's like, because you know you have that value there. But the fact that they decided, no, this bat is good enough to be a full-time DH, and it almost backfired. And of course, he gets injured again. He's missing a bunch of time. He comes back in a, and has a rehab appearance where he plays center field in the second half of the season. Seven innings, boom, done, gets hurt again, and then is still rehabbing again to the point where they put him on the playoff roster. Just both extremely cool and also like, what the hell are you doing? Ultimately, he pinch hits at the end of game four. He's like one of their last outs of the season is Byron tried Buxton to, pinch hitting. They tried to Kurt Gibson him. Against, exactly. Against Brian Abreu, like the best reliever on earth at the time. Like they were treating it like it was a movie. Like I, I we love Byron Buxton. Like that moment, the, the 30 seconds of him coming out of the dugout and the twins crowd being like, holy shit, look at this was so cool. But then it was like, as soon as he steps in the box, it's like, what the fuck are they doing? This is ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm I'm, so happy Byron Buxton talked his way into this, but this feels irresponsible. Now, why are we talking about this now? Because Byron Buxton at Twins Fest, mm-hmm. which we love, we love to fest it up, mm-hmm. said that he's back. Asked if he was going to be playing center field. He responded and said, oh, yeah, I'm back. Yes. And he was asked. Now, that was, I think, like, I don't know if it was a fan Q&A or it seemed like that moment 
and the fan fest context was like a you know let's get the crowd hype but then apparently the media followed up with him after and he was like yeah like i wouldn't have said that if i didn't feel confident that the knee surgery i don't know what number of surgery this is for him that he had after the season after his unfortunate pinch hit appearance that he's fully recovered for that and he's and he's ready to roll but now here we are again right he's entering what is only his age 30 season and i just don't know what to make of this like i'm always going to be rooting for this guy but for a twins team that again, like I don't know what their plan would be in center field if it's if it's not him. You know, they have Willie Castro, they had Michael A. Taylor fill in, and he was really solid. But I'm I'm hoping for this, but it does feel like this is now everybody run with it because everybody's rooting for Buxton all the time, right? So, and because it's like we are desperate for anything, every account is aggregating and tweeting like Byron Buxton's back, like it's go time. He's gonna have a huge bounce back season. It's like listen. I want to believe that too, <laughs> but like, let's not just forget about what just happened and how it transpired. It's like a musician where you get legendary singles leaked over the course of a career, but like never the album you're looking for. It's like, right? oh, this or, is it. It's totally coming out this year. <laughs> oh, he's going to drop it. Or for Game of Thrones, people who are waiting for the next book, like it, maybe it happens. Yeah. But so why would I believe in it? I do agree that we are all rooting for it to happen because if it clicks in a season, it could be legendary. And we all want to witness legendary sports performances. Yeah. I So I struggled to kind of balance those two things, right? The skepticism and the cynicism of what, uh, why would I believe Byron Buxton is going to be healthy? Mm-hmm. And that's sad, but that's yeah. true. Balancing that with, I want to see God in this Chili's tonight. <laughs> and also, again, like, it's not what if it clicks. We've seen it click, right? Now he's shown us enough that when it's clicking, but that's what made the first two months of 2023 so weird and concerning is that it was like, okay, he was presumably not, but I don't know, maybe he was injured from the beginning again. And then and that was what was hampering him. Like, I just don't know what to make of his offensive performance in 2023 when he wasn't playing center field. Like, oh, it's you could say, oh, well, he needs to be in center field for him to be at his best. I'm like, okay, maybe that's true, but I still have the health concerns. I, to me, I'm also just like, well, why isn't he playing left field? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's so interesting that that this is where we are. We are because the Twins have been collecting corner outfielders right. like stamps over right. the last half yeah. decade because they thought that Byron Buxton was going to always was... be in center field. Exactly. I exactly. think it's very interesting to look at this within the context of the Twins and the expectations. Last year was really the least value they've ever gotten from Buxton in a season, right? Um, he, well, that's not true because, well, he was, this is the worst he was while he was playing regularly, I guess is maybe a better way to put it. That I guess is the point in 2018, he played in 28 games and wasn't very right. good. But I guess my point is if for the first time in a long time, it's the least value they the got value. out of Byron yeah, That's fair. While he was playing. Okay? Yeah. That's while he was playing. And what happened? They won the division. Okay. <laughs> right. And so, Carlos Correa sucked too, right? All Carlos the stories you're writing sucked. about Correa and Buxton. It's like, no, <laughs> they were not important and the twins won anyway. Now, is that sustainable? Who knows? But I guess for the Twins, it's like we put the kid gloves on last year. We wrapped him in bubble wrap and it Ooh. didn't make a freaking difference. Right. Okay. So maybe we. So we, yeah. if we let him ride and we and we just have do him it like center, Otani with the Angels. It's like, you know, like like, Otani I'm not going to tell you what to do. If you think you're healthy, you're going to go play center field 150 games if you can. And yeah. God bless if it works great. If not, if so he's good. Byron Buxton, and I'm sure that there is a part of it where Byron Buxton is saying, in order to be this transcendent offensive force, I need to be in the outfield every day. Sure. Sure. It is a real thing. I think for certain players, adjusting yeah. to DH is really hard. And so if Buxton believes that the twins are like, you know what? Screw it. If he goes out there. In the best case scenario, he plays 140 games and he's amazing. Like, we're going to win 96 games, maybe. Yeah, right? Sure. But if he is usual Byron Buxton in center field where we get 68 games mm-hmm. and he's very good, they're like, okay, sure. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Totally. Whatever. And if he's ass and hurt the whole year, their team is clearly good enough, as we just saw, to compensate for that. And so yeah. I think it's kind of a win-win. Sure. Which is weird it's, to they, look at. They are... They're much better equipped to handle it. Although I will say that from a strictly, regardless of whether Buxton is most comfortable hitting while playing outfield, whatever, like it's not even just about, oh, who's going to play center. It's that, that they now have, as you just alluded to, they now have several DH options that should be hitting like for sure, right? 
whether it's Julian, whether it's Waller, whether it's Kirilov, whether it's, I mean, you have to consider the fact that one of their top prospects, Brooks Lee, is knocking on the door, is going to make that infield even more crowded. And now we definitely can't be playing, you know, Julian in the infield or whatever, right? And maybe this changes in the event that they trade Kepler or they trade Polanco or Kepler leaves after this year. Like, there's there's versions. But but it's the other thing is the roster fit does also just work if he is playing center field. Um, and I don't think that they can afford to give him DH at bats, right? Maybe that's the way to put it in the way that they they clearly thought they were going to at the beginning of last season. So really interesting situation. And and again, the Twins have made so little news this winter. They have done absolutely fucking nothing. They knew and Joe Maurer well, was going to get in and they were like, that's yeah, right, enough. which is great, which is great. And they could do that. And, and again, they did it. They finally won. They won a postseason series. They won a postseason game. Like the vibes are still pretty good, even with the reporting that they're cutting payroll, whatever, because the generally the fan sentiment is in a good place, but they have done nothing, 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 nothing. They haven't even made the cost cutting moves that we thought. So this is, this makes us think about the twins. And that's why we, we opened the show with 15 minutes on it. Uh, anything else on, on Buxton? No. Nothing else on Buxton. Let's pivot to a couple of moves that we yes, had. Let's do that over the last few days. I'd like to begin with Adam Ottavino. Ooh, sure, yeah. Signing with the Mets. How much did you follow this one? This is super interesting. Yeah. So uh, basically, Adam Ottavino, who was so I I think maybe one interesting place to start with Ottavino is why wasn't he traded? Why wasn't he traded? Adam Adovino was not amazing, but like still a pretty decent reliever. Uh, all year, past, all year, all year, like, right? He was healthy. He appeared in sixty-six games. The strikeouts were down a little bit, and the FIP wasn't great. But like he could have been helpful to someone, and for some reason he wasn't traded. Maybe that is a sign that the league did not value him that high. Maybe it's a sign he's thirty-seven. It's like whatever. But the point is, is while the Mets traded a bunch of other you know, people away. He stayed on the team and he had a player option for six and a half million dollars for 2024, which he declined, which is another sign that Adam Adovino thought, I have a market. People will want to sign me for more than that. 6.75. Oh, forgive me. Thank you. Which and I know in this context, just a reminder, the difference between 6.75 million <laughs> and 6.5 million is $250,000, which is a lot of money. Correct. So- no, 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 not no, a rounding I, error. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I'm usually the one correcting you with with numbers like that. So very I, true. I, I, I so need, he he declines this option, mm-hmm. hits the free agency, and this week signed a one year four point five million dollar contract with the New York Mets. Now, at first glance, that I don't know a whole lot about finance, but two point <laughs> that's, that's, that's two point two five million dollars less. <laughs> However, Jordan, what have we learned this offseason? What's mm. been one of the themes of this offseason? The the money is never what it looks like when it seems like. It's not. There's there are hidden costs and fees. Okay. Uh, yes, the fine print. No one is reading the fine print enough on these contracts. Adovino told Joel Sherman that $4 million of his $6.75 million team option would have been deferred. Mm. And so he's actually making more money now, even though it's less money. I do think it is interesting that he declined an option and then just returned to the same team. Totally. Also, Adam Adovino has just been like chilling on SNY like all offseason long, like analyzing other moves like he is doing TV. And then I guess at some point he'd be like, oh, I guess I still don't have a team. <laughs> I like the um, idea that he's on SNY just like laying into the Mets. I know he obviously <laughs> wouldn't do that for a number of reasons. He gets right? on there and he's like, this Mets team needs at least one more veteran bullpen edition. For, and I would overpay for that if it were me. I need a beach house. And one of them who they were reportedly interested in was Hector Neris. And instead they bring back Adam Adovino for half the cost. Uh, anything else on uh, Odavino High before we uh, get back to Hector Neris? Uh, I really like Adam Adovino. I wish him nothing but the best. In, I don't. I think he really likes living in New York. He's from New oh, York. Oh, for sure. He grew up here. I, I think we've reached a point with him where it's New York or maybe retirement, and maybe that's why he didn't get traded because he was like, I don't want to get traded. Not that the Mets should have cared about that, but. Right. I can yeah, imagine. Possible. I can imagine that for him at this point, it's this is I. My kids are here. My kids go to school here. Yeah, like I. This is what I want. He trains at the the Adovino Lab, which is mm-hmm. down the street from me, mm-hmm. um, which I still have not been to. 
Someone sauce me an invitation to that. I need to get on the, <laughs> yeah. on the, I, on I the can't decide if that there. is a more of a reflection on you or on them. <laughs> they haven't invited you yet. I walk by it every day. I walk <laughs> by it every single day of the way they trade, but who am I? You know, I, uh, I, I don't want to sound hot holier than thou. Uh, no, anyway, no, Adam Adovino, one year, $4.5 million. Good for him. We'd love yeah. to see it. Uh, let's talk about Hector Neris. Hector Neris signs with the Cubs. Cubs, another team that we expected. We're going to make some moves in the bullpen. Uh, you know, early speculation. Ooh, could that be a hater landing spot? Re- reunites with Craig Council. No, they weren't going to spend that much. Cubs bullpen sneaky okay last year and very anonymous. Very anonymous. And again, that is a sign that your organization is moving in the right direction. When you have a bunch of relievers, if you want to be more like the Brewers... You best be pulling out some two, three ERAs from guys you never heard of. And they started to do that in 2023. And Jordan Schusterman, that is exactly what my point was going to be. The Cubs are giving Craig Council the right weapons down there that he will be able to mix and match. The Brewers' success over the last half decade has been, yes, Josh Hader, yes, Devin Williams. But go look at what Joel Payamps Payamps last year. Okay. Trevor McGill. Yeah. Trevor McGill. You need anonymity in your bullpen. It is very helpful. And now Craig Council is going to be able to deploy these pieces. Hector Neris is not anonymous. Not anonymous at all. He is 17th on the active list for most games pitched. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's, been around the block. He's been the most durable reliever in baseball, basically. Him and, and Classe last few years, but his goes back even farther. I mean, he basically has not been injured. Uh, injured briefly in 2018, but we're talking seven. He has five seasons of 70 plus appearances, and then another one with 68. This dude is, you know, him, the fastball and the splitter. Now, while his ERA was just a career low 171, the FIP was two runs above that, right? And so his fa- his fastball velo was down, and it there were reasons to think, okay, maybe Hector Neris is at least starting to decline. The splitter is still elite. Like, this is still a good reliever. Maybe because he's, you know, entering his age 35 season, it was harder for him to, you know, secure a bigger deal. But is a team, an option for 2026 or for 2025 that becomes a player option if he pitches in 60 games, which, as I just said, he's basically done every single season for the last seven years. So I would expect him to be able to pick that up. Um, unless there's some serious shenanigans involving keeping his uh, appearances down. Uh, but I, I think this is good. I think um, Neris is, he's not perfect. He has given up some absolutely massive home runs in some inopportune spots, both of course with the Phillies and even with the Astros. But he is he is a, a much more reliable uh, kind of option. I, again, I was thinking about it more in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and the ninth, of course. But it, this this does make a lot of sense, I think. Another Cubs relief move, Carl Edwards Jr., slender man himself, the skinny mini, back to the Cubs where he began his big league career, originally drafted by the Texas Rangers. 50th in round, A right? round that no longer exists in the 48th round 48th. Sorry. of the yeah. 2011 MLB draft out of Prosperity, South Carolina. He has, this will be his 10th big league season. The majority of it was with the Cubs uh, in the beginning of his career, has bounced around since then. Padres, Mariners, Braves, Blue Jays, the last two years with the Nats, where he was pretty solid. I mean, outpitching his fit both of those years, but he's a totally legitimate guy to bring back on a minor league deal. I think he'll end up making the team and get some innings for the Cubs. Yeah, still can spin the absolute hell out of it. He's basically had elite fastball spin, still throwing pretty hard. Um, and yeah, would not surprise. He's only 32. I mean, it's, again, feels like he's been around forever but i would not be surprised whatsoever if he uh and of course like everyone fucking loves carl Edwards jr i mean did he did he pitch in the world series he did yeah he did pitch in the world series i mean i remember him obviously being on that team um but yeah like how about that <laughs> you know, carl you have someone from the 2016 cubs back on the cubs like that is a rare a rare occurrence uh so i think that'll be uh that'll be cool that'll be cool bring everyone home um so yeah there you go. good for Good for Carl. Uh, good for Carl Edwards Jr. A uh, couple other uh, signings. Uh, the Royals signed Adam Frazier. This is exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't get this one. Even less so than them giving Hunter Renfro two years. Like they have infielders. They have Michael Massey. They have, you know, some other guys. It seems like they just were like, oh shit, we don't have Nicky Lopez anymore. Let's get Adam Frazier. But I don't. I, I don't know. I don't really. I don't really get this fit. Like who cares? I guess. Like what's the big deal? But. 
the Royals are finding it's like the eighth major league free agent that they've signed, which is I think the most in the big league. So in that sense, it's interesting, but I don't know. The Royals are, are weird, but I'm glad they're making moves. I think the Royals front office is trying to change history and convince us all that Adam Frazier was on the 2015 world series team. Ooh, because okay. boy, oh it's boy. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah. Adam Frazier was on the 2015 team, right? Like right, that right, tracks. Right, Absolutely. Right. Made a lot of contact. Uh, Adam Frazier and the Royals is a match made in nap time. Heaven. Yeah. He is a consummate professional. Yeah. He's yeah. going to whisper sweet nothings about the grind of major league baseball into the ears of Michael Massey. Mm-hmm. and improve his season by 0.08%. And most importantly to us, um, you know, a, a Mariner and an Oriole, right? Big for the for the BBQ Immaculate Grid. And and by the way, delivered he delivered one of the most important hits of the Seattle Mariners in the 21st century, right? <laughs> the double against the Blue Jays. So salute Adam Frazier. Good luck in Kansas City. I don't know how much you're actually going to play. Does Adam Frazier get traded at the deadline? Probably. Uh, that is applicable to our next signing, the Oakland Athletics, mm. a Major League Baseball team for the time being, have signed Alex Wood, who spent yeah. the last few years in San Francisco. So he's staying in the Bay. He's been with the Giants since 2021. Okay, in 2021, yeah. he was spectacular for them. Uh, who, who was? I'll walk that back. Who well, he was? But but still, he was I pretty mean. good. He was pretty good for them in 21, like a legit starter. I believe he. Like he was a member of the 2021 Giants yeah. that shocked the world. Like he yeah. was their three or their four starter yeah. uh, during that season. And then the last two years, he has been very unlucky, uh, especially in 2022. He had a 370 ERA and a 510, uh, sorry, a 510 ERA and a 37 FIP. Last year, a little bit down, but totally le- le- good guy for the A's to sign. And maybe they can unlock some things in the first half and train him at the deadline. I would be shocked. If Alex Wood is making starts for the Oakland A's in August and September, either he's ass and they put him on waivers so they don't have to pay him or they trade him at the deadline. Um, He's not a member of the next great Oakland A's team. Let's just leave it like that. Uh, No. And honestly, unfair to Alex Wood because he had an awesome career. But to me, he'll just always be the guy that served up the absolute monster Johannes home run in the playoffs. (laughs) which was so long ago and so early in his career. Uh, But I just, because he has such a distinct delivery and just like kind of look like that, when I think about it, I just think about it delivering the worst pitch ever to our favorite player. So (laughs) I appreciate it though. Like appreciate that because that was sick. Alex Wood looks like Pinocchio is trying to do yoga. When he pitches, um, that's a that's a good. Is he going to be our opening day starter, Jake? Uh, probably, and that's a huge upgrade from what happened last year. Where <laughs> I mean, I they, again, they have the young guys like Mason Miller and Joe Boyle, who I love. No, it'll be JP Sears or Blackburn. I guess is still on the team. So, um, so woohoo! Yeah. I am curious to see how much money he's making. I don't think we have a report about the contract yet. Uh, because again, their payroll right now is at $40 million. Okay. I shouldn't laugh because again, it's a disgrace to the sport and it's not the player's faults and all these things. Um, That's like 0.77 Otani's. Yeah. Uh, they, their payroll situation, Aledmus Diaz is making 8 million. He is essentially double the next largest salary. And that's again, Aledmus Diaz, Trevor Gott, who they signed 1.5. Paul Blackburn up to three and a half in ARB, so watch out. Um, Miguel Andujar, who they like claimed traded for, claimed on waivers, he's making one point seven. Anyway, uh, Seth Brown, love Seth Brown, he's still on the A's. Anyway, congrats to Alex Wood. Uh, I hope you start opening day. All right, Jake, let us take a break. Great. Uh, We're going to talk about Cole Keith on Wednesday, or at least I will with Mike Farron. Um, So if you want Cole Keith thoughts. Save them because Prospect Barbacast has you covered. We're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, uh, we'll hit the Winter League stuff briefly before getting into your emails. We'll be right back on Baseball Barbacast. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mitz, Jordan Schusterman. The winter is almost over, kind of, which means winter ball is drawing to a close 
Some of the leagues across Latin America are either in their finals or their finals have finished, which will culminate in one of our favorite events of the baseball calendar, the Caribbean Series, which will take place this year in Miami, which is going to be quite a blast. Yes, this will be a, you know, a mini version of what we've seen uh, in the WBC there uh, from February 1st to February 9th. Um, wow. I don't know if there's more teams than normal. Basically, the Caribbean Series is an annual tournament between the champions of all of the winter leagues, which, of course, headlined by the teams in the Dominican Republic, in Venezuela, in Mexico, in Puerto Rico, but also includes teams uh, from Panama and from Curaçao this year, as well as Nicaragua. We've had Cuba has participated in this before, um, but basically this is... And, and by the way, like some of these teams will add players who didn't even necessarily play that much in, in the Winter League. For example, Isak Paredes is going to be playing for Mexico, even though I don't think he got a single at bat over the winter. So that's pretty cool. Um, of course, he's already down in Florida. So he's like, yeah, sure, I'll come play for Mexico. Why not? Uh, so it's, it's just a really cool event. I, I believe these games are usually on ESPN+. And, you know, we have uh, Tigres Delice just won their uh, back-to-back championship in, in Lidon, their 24th title in Lidome history, the most of any team. The Venezuelan finals are ongoing. Um, Cardinales uh, pushed the series to a fifth game. Tiburon is trying to win their first championship since the 80s. That, I believe, is happening on Sunday night. Uh, game five is on Sunday night, so it's possible that will wrap up. But anyway, if you have ESPN+, Plus, if you're in Miami and you want to just go get some fantastic baseball vibes, cannot recommend this enough. Uh, there are tickets available, and I'm looking forward to watching those games. Now, why should you give a crap about this if you don't watch the Winter Leagues during like the Winter League regular season? I guess the good way to think about this is almost like the Champions League in Mm -hmm. Europe for soccer. It's the champion of each of the Caribbean leagues playing one another. The only difference, like you said, is these teams are now just going to draw from the best players in the country that are available and around. Mm -hmm. And so the like the Curacao team has Didi Gregorius and Drelton Simmons, who just retired, Jonathan Scope, Roger Bernardina. Jerks and Profar. Profar still like an f- active free agent, right? Still looking for a team. Vladimir Ballantine's going to be in this. Mm-hmm. Shea Spitzbarth will be there. <laughs> right, because then you have the guys that, you know, have found... Uh, there's there's all kinds of guys who find their way onto these teams. But like, hey, like Sedan Rafaela, right? A, a, a really interesting Red Sox prospect who we saw make his major league debut. He'll be, I, I imagine, in the lineup for these teams. So... Um, yeah, it's just it's just a fun mix of names and it adds more uh, some higher profile names than you will even necessarily see in the in the playoffs in the actual leagues. Mexican uh, team, some amazing names, like you said, Isak Paredes, but Bobby Bradley, wow. Aaron Altair. Mm-hmm. OK, Odrissimer Despagne, the <laughs> oh legend, the icon. So there you go. So he's playing Despagne is playing because I guess Cuba is not. Um, but yeah, Paredes has not been playing, uh, but like Bradley has been playing uh, in in Mexico this winter. So yeah, it's it's just a fun it's a fun mix, and it's and I, and I imagine you know Miami. I think we've seen it in Venezuela recently. We've seen it in Mexico, but I'm really excited to see the the Miami the Miami crowds there. Um, I, I'm I'm really curious about that. Obviously, there is significant you know diaspora of people who live whether it is in in Venezuela or Dominican or Curacao that live in Miami. So it should be it should be cool, Jordan. It's Sunday. It is. However, there is mail. Let's <laughs> reach into the mailbag and get to some of your questions. And we will begin with some Cooperstown discussion. This question is from Logan. Logan says, picture this across the United States, specifically Indiana and New York City. Very convenient. Two wormholes open up leading directly to Cooperstown, New York on the day of the induction. There are Todd Helton. Adrian Beltre, Jim Leland, and Joe Maurer. You only have time to ask them one question each before the wormhole closes back up. What question are you asking? Thanks, fellas, Logan. Jordan, do you have any quick thoughts? I've prepped this. Here is, I have one that I would ask. Uh, and again, I, I'm going to add the, add the addendum of like, they have to tell us the truth, right? Like we're basically getting guaranteed an answer from them. I think for both Helton and Maurer, I would ask them like, would you go play football If you knew, like, you were going to be good, like, not just, like, you're just going to go play football, you don't know what happens. Like, you get to, like, be an NFL quarterback, but, like, you were, like, average, like, you you were, like, pretty good, right? But not a Hall of Famer. 
Like which one? Because some guys, again, as we've learned, as we learned with two sport guys, it's like clearly, even if baseball is the is the smart move, or even if baseball is the better option to getting to certain ways, like would you honestly prefer to have played football? What? Hey, Todd Helton, would you rather have been you or Tony Romo? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And still, I, Tony Romo now, who like is about to announce the Super Bowl and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, that's work. You know, Todd Helton's get gets just gets to kick it in his purple pullover. Uh, here are the questions I would ask. Okay, I would ask Todd Helton what he thinks about the current state of the Colorado Rockies. Yes, be and honest. Maybe he showed up at Rockies Fan Fest this weekend and was like on panels, not just like talking about the team. Like he's, of course, he's still around and talking to you know the Montforts and everything. So, but but we want his honest answer. I want his honest answer. This team has been a catastrophe. They are uninteresting. They are irrelevant. Is he frustrated with the state of play uh, as Mr. Rocky? Is there a way he can save this? I don't know. I don't think so. So that's what I would ask him. I would ask Adrian Belcher, like, what's up with the head touching thing? Like, is there <laughs> well, a start? deeper? Hmm. Yeah. Like, I, it's really never been explained beyond I don't like it when people touch my head. Maybe the answer is I don't like it when people touch my head, but I have to think that there is a deeper origin story here. Maybe that's already public. That's probably what I would ask him. Yeah, I would. I'd be curious about how he felt about. I don't know. It's just so interesting with like he's clearly so closely tied with the Rangers, right? But it was such a long career before then, and I would love to know about just like the origins of his signing and if he could have signed. With the range, like, what, what do you think about the Rangers before he got there? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm really, I'm really curious about just like his his relationship with Texas in general. Um, do you I harbor any resentment towards Nelson Cruz? <laughs> for right. 2011? Oh, there you go. That's that's kind of a bleak one, but that is like a like basically like how did you actually get over this shit? <laughs> Joe Mauer. Joe Mauer. You're okay. you're clearly happy. Do you lose sleep because you're 0 and 10 in the playoffs? And do you wish that you had won a ring elsewhere? If okay. you could alter yeah. your career, so let's say he what was his last season 18. Yep. Let's 18. say Joe Maurer could have been the best pinch hitter on the 2019 Nationals mm -hmm. and the rest of his career stays the same. <laughs> Would he opt into that? He is marring the BRF page, but he has a ring. Yeah. Would he want that? Similar question. If you could play for another team, which one would it have been? Um, the St. Like, Paul Saints. <laughs> right. If he could have played his whole career in one other, like you get to have the same thing, but it's on a different team. I would I would love to know. The AAA St. Paul Saints. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like Mike Hessman in St. Paul. It's just, that's the dream life for Joe Maurer. But I think that is probably more interesting than, than like his alternate football career is, is what, right, where... I mean, could he even, again, could he bring himself to say, because again, oftentimes you have teams, like, I don't sense that this was someone that grew up a Yankees fan, right? We have people all over the country where it's like, oh yeah, I live near this city that you assume I'm like the hometown, whatever, but like, honestly, I was just a Yankees fan. Like, there's like a hundred versions of that. Oh, I don't sense that you, was like, the case for Joe Mauer. Can you imagine if Joe Mauer, if they, we, we changed history, Joe Mauer was actually grew up a huge Yankees fan. Right, right. Oh yeah, no, so maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, I would that that would be my my other Mauer question. Uh, Jim Leland. Um, my question for Jim Leland is: Can I ask you 25 questions about Barry Bonds, please? <laughs> so you're you're asking the genie for more wishes. Is what I'm it. asking the genie for more, for more wishes, or <laughs> I'm saying, uh, what was the most memorable cigarette you ever had? I was gonna say, what's the most cigarettes you smoked in one day at a major league ballpark, and okay. why? Like, I'd be curious, again, I don't know anything, like, it, I, I, this is a very much a topic I'm not familiar with in terms what? of, you know, nicotine addiction, like smoking and like stuff like this, okay? But I'm like curious, like, what in his career drove him to smoke more? Like, what kinds of things, like, I think, I, I, I love asking when we talk to coaches, like college coaches in particular, like, what pisses you off the most? I love that question. I love hearing, especially, you know, at the at lower levels where there are more fuck ups than at the major leagues. But I would love to know in that vein, like what pissed Jim Leland off the most. So I think manager. that that is a separate question from the cigarettes because you know, it, it is. But it, I'm just wondering if maybe it's adjacent. 
Well, I think that maybe for some people, an uptick in smoking could be caused by a particular moment of stress. However, for Jim, for Jim, it just seems like it, it was a constant state of inhalation. <laughs> and so I'm not sure that stimuli would alter the amount of, Good point. Uh, you know, heaters he was puffing in. Anyway, those are the questions we would ask the Hall of Famers. Great question, are they, Logan. Great question. Uh, thank you. Thank yes. you for asking us Hall of Famers a question. Uh, uh, next question, not really a question, just an email it's from Josh Foreman with the title Urbanist Kapler. Hello, Jake and Jordan. Loved the Gabe Kapler video talk. I too am pro walking and even pro walking faster, just like Gabe. However, has Gabe Kapler not considered that you can also drive faster? Over short distances, it might not be as easy to shave time off, but it is in fact possible. That is all Lachaim Josh. So Jordan. <laughs> we had this discussion after we recorded. You were visiting me. We 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 went on for a while further about the capital thing. And I brought up the same thing as just like, just drive faster, you know? And then we thought about the alternate scenario where, right, he's like, hey, you know, Google Maps tells you that it's going to take you 54 minutes to drive, but have you ever just considered fucking flooring it? <laughs> and, and it'll only, you could shave off like seven or eight minutes. <laughs> I think that's, that is obviously the antithesis of the spear. Because as I mentioned in our original discussion, the clear thesis here is don't get in a car. That seems to be the focus for Kapler. But Don't do right. it. I think in theory, you can also just drive faster. You can just drive faster. Has Gabe Kapler driven a vehicle 100 miles an hour? Jordan, yes or no? Has he driven a vehicle 100 miles an hour? Yes. But I'm going to say yes, but not in a long time. Ooh. So there you go. We've uh, never done that. No, certainly not. Uh, next email. We have a couple emails from just kind of following up on the FanFest discussion. This one comes from Mark. Uh, Mark said, heard you guys talking about Beltron being a part of the promotion for the 2020 Mets Fan Fest. To my memory, Beltron was let go about a week before Fan Fest, maybe less. And Luis Rojas was hired and introduced the day before this event. I think they had a fan Q&A with Rojas as one of the first events. He was definitely there. Overall, it was a pretty fun day. It was cool that it was at City Field. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Luis, yeah, question. Uh, what is the fuck? How about uh, this? <laughs> that would be my first question. Uh, Mark continues overall it was a pretty fun day it was cool that it was in City Field would have been better with more space uh, tickets were sold for like $20 to season ticket holders then to the public uh, three different entry times to limit how many people were in at once I don't know if that was a COVID thing or a space thing I assume it was a space thing I was only uh, get to get a ticket for the last entry time guys like Alonzo and DeGrom were certainly gone the most high profile player that stuck around chatting was probably Edwin Diaz I think the funniest part looking back at it was the Q&A with the Mets new additions from that offseason and it was Rick Porcello, Dylan Batances, and Michael Waka. And that was the only time anyone got to see them as Mets in person before the COVID season. So true. I remember so vividly when they signed Batances and it was like, holy shit. The, I mean, you think like the Severino, the, the Batances thing almost prepared us for the Severino reaction uh, in some respects. Now, obviously he really did not do much for the Mets, um, but I remember that super well that offseason. But that is a funny reaction. So thank you, Mark. Rick Porcello, his final season was 2020. He did not play again. Is he going to be on the Hall of Fame ballot? He played for 12 seasons. He won a Cy Young. One of the most fascinating careers in recent baseball. Memory. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is he? I bet he will be. Uh, how many seasons did he pitch? 12. Yeah. I, I, I think he probably will be on the ballot. That's an interesting one. though. Shouts out Rick Porcello. Uh, another follow-up about FanFest from Olive. She says, Hi, Jake and Jordan. Just want to let you know that the Cardinals are one of the teams that do both the FanFest and Fan Caravan. They go to six different states across the tour. They've been doing them for as long as I can remember. Again, shouts out to these teams in the Midwest. We've seen the Twins. We know the Cardinals. The Reds are rolling into West Virginia and Dayton and all kinds of weird parts of Ohio and Kentucky to, and bringing prospects you've never heard of. I fucking love it. Like, this is the other thing that just fires me up about FanFest, too, is just, like, how much people love getting to get a picture with any player, anyone that's wearing a major league jersey, even players that have not been in the big leagues and perhaps will never be in the big leagues. Doesn't matter because on those days in these random elementary schools, they are wearing the major league jersey and you get to get a picture with them. And I'm, I'm not joking. It really like makes me so happy. Like those are the things where I'm like, baseball fans are fucking great. Because it's, it. imp it's also important to remember, right? A team is based in a city. 
And the team's connection with that city is important. However, in a lot of places, the team's country expands beyond the scope of that city. And so, like, you look at a map of where the Cardinals did caravan, Mm -hmm. and it's like six states. Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas, right? Like, they're going to Memphis. They're going... It's a big area, and they're bringing this experience of the Cardinals to communities and areas where there are people who might not be able to afford to drive to all the way four hours sure. to go to a stadium to pay Let and watch tickets, a game. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's it's great. More caravans. Jordan, we should do one of these. Yeah. Oh man. That's I, again. And the Orioles one that we're seeing just like brings me so much joy. Like, and again, we talk about this, just the combination of, of players that they, that they send out. Like I would love that job if I worked for a team and I worked in marketing or whatever, those community events, getting to pick which players go to which library and which fire station and whatever, like all of those. It just, it's just great. I love the fan fest stuff. Um, and it's, they all, they, it all makes me very happy. So anyway, thank I'm going to following up about that. Tommy Edmund. We'll see you at the farmer's market in <laughs> the Ozarks. Yes. Uh, shouts out to them. Our next email comes from Cole. Cole says, Hey, Jake Jordan. Hope you guys are doing well. We are doing well. Thank you, Cole. Yep. Uh, to fill the baseball void in the off season, I will typically get really into cricket. Same Cole. And one not of the key me. Differences not me. I cook and hang out with my fiance. <laughs> wow, that's sick, bro. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, big wife guy. One of the key differences, not you're not married yet. One of the key differences between baseball and cricket is how many balls are used in any one match. In test cricket, the same ball is used for at least 80 overs or like 500 pitches. And even then, a team can choose to keep the aged ball. Bowlers will specialize, bowlers will specialize in differently aged balls. It becomes a major factor in the strategy of the match. An aged ball will generally favor slower bowlers who rely on spinning the ball to bounce off the ground in unpredictable ways. Players will also rub the ball only to one side to give it more midair movement as it ages. When a fan catches a ball at a cricket game, they throw it back to the players immediately. This is definitely true, and it always makes me laugh. Anyway, thinking about how this made, uh, made me think of one big question. How would baseball be different if teams had to use the same ball throughout the entire game? How hard is it to even throw a used baseball? And this is where Jake Mintz, the former baseball player, can tell us. MLB pitchers will get a new ball as soon as the old one touches the dirt. I always assumed it would become impossible to grip. What are some pitchers? Would some pitchers specialize in new versus old balls like in cricket? Uh, what implementations would make for the best entertainment? Uh, would you keep the pitch clock or just hope that the fans throw it back within 20 seconds? So many great questions. I, I do love this because I think this is something that I've seen you know Sam Miller write about. Like Players are players and pitchers like are ditching baseballs faster than basically ever before. Like we're chucking like there. I think for a while you would have guys like I remember I've heard stories very classic of like Greg Maddox being like, no, no, no. Like I'm using that fucking ball for four innings or whatever. Like don't do not get rid of that. And when we've heard pitchers that we've talked to who do not want to get rid of the ball, because again, it can help. But what is your, your, your player perspective of this? So my first thought is that we did this. From 1850, whatever the hell, to 1920. Mm -hmm. And that was shitty. The dead ball era comes (laughs) from... This was part of the problem. It was the deadness of the ball. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, I think that there are two... uh, I'm not a scientist. I don't plan on becoming one. Um, Definitely not. I in my mind there are two stages of ball aging. Okay, mm-hmm. you get a ball, and then as it gets kind of scuffed up and used, it becomes easier to throw as a pitcher. Right? There are various uh, little notches and grips within the cover of the ball that you can utilize. If the seams are scuffed, that's really helpful. If one side of the ball is like shinier than the other, or smoother than the other, or rougher than the other, that can you know, impact ball flight if you're throwing it hard enough or with a certain amount of spin. But then I would imagine that it becomes even more helpful. Like if you use the same ball for like eight innings and it gets really gross and dirty, I would imagine it wouldn't fly as clean through the air because ball flight through the air, like I'm thinking about aerodynamics, right? Cyclists shave their legs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that they can move through the air. The slicker a ball, the more it's going to carry. If I use a ball 
the more I use a baseball, like the less it's likely to fly. Now, at the level that I played, we all suck too much to know and utilize the differences here. I played for four years. I didn't know a single person who used any sort of tack or grip or anything. Now, maybe we were goody two shoes. I don't know. But I would say that if you never changed out of baseball, home runs would go down a lot. Yeah, and what like the the trade-off that for pitchers, it's like, okay, the scuff means I can control it and I know it's gonna cut this way or this way, but ultimately the trade-off is is presumably, as he sort of hints at in the email, is is command, right? And at some point, you know, <laughs> it's funny because in cricket, I'm thinking about like the the importance and value of command and control, right? You can't, I mean, yes, you can do a, a bad throw to where they get a free hit but like it's not the same thing as like walks in the way that like if you just can't fucking throw strikes you're really in a bad place in baseball and that's why guys are probably wanting you know a, a fresh pill pretty consistently i also think this is an interesting question in the context of the fact that pitchers continue to complain about this anyway even when they are getting new baseballs all the time and saying that oh these baseballs with this grip sucks and this, these kind of like that is still, it is still a real dis- discussion point. So how it would impact it if you were using the same ball over and over, I think is really interesting. Um, but I also imagine that like the scuffs and whatever for a baseball, especially when you consider the seams are going to be drastically different than that of a cricket ball. So that probably also makes a pretty big difference, but great question. I love it. And I think about it all the time. Like it is so funny. I, I, I've always wondered what would happen in cricket. Like if you do keep the ball, like do they, are, are they going to escort you out? Like, but they throw it back so fast in cricket. It is hilarious. Other countries are kinder than us. Two more questions. Yes. One from Adam. I was listening to the January 24th episode, congratulating the hall of famers and an offhand comment jumped out at you. Sorry if it jumped out and scared you, Adam. Ooh, During both the Beltran and Hell discussions, one of you guys, probably Jordan, said something to the effect of, and also important for a Hall of Famer, he was never bad. This jumped out because I thought, yes, exactly, and I don't hear this much in the general Hall of Fame discussion. It's usually some conversation around peak versus longevity with awards and postseason as sweeteners. So my question is, how much does or should he was never bad matter for Hall of Fame consideration? How many truly bad seasons? Can a Hall of Fame player have? Does it matter how old he is when the bad season or seasons happen? Does it matter if he bounces back to previous productivity? Yes, it does. I'll just say that. It definitely matters if they bounce back. Like if a dude has a down year in the middle of a career and then figures it out, that's fine with me. Is one especially atrocious atrocious season enough to take an otherwise solid or borderline candidacy? I would say yes, because how much should we hold Andrew Jones's 2008 season against him? I would say a lot. Does his 62.7 career war afford him less leeway and respect than Pujols' 101.5 war does? Yes, it does. Or does none of this matter as long as the bad years don't pull a player's overall numbers down below our Hall of Fame standards? Signed a Dodgers fan who struggles to see Andrew Jones as a Hall of Famer after sitting through that season. Okay, you love this question. Yeah, I mean, again, like as we're coming off the Hall of Fame discourse and as we're looking ahead to the kinds of Hall of Fame discussions we're going to have about shorter careers with great peaks, like it does feel relevant. It came up when we talked about Posey, how for him to finish like he did was so amazing. Again, for Pools, right? What if Pools hadn't had that last season? And he, ah, of course, he's getting the Hall of Fame anyway. But I'm just saying that like guys who are more borderline cases as he's bringing up, I think it is interesting. And especially when you are the fan of the team where you saw him when he sucked ass, <laughs> I get it. It's like, that's not a Hall of Famer. It's also interesting because Sometimes, it, especially with pitchers, it's like, well, he got hurt, his velocity vanished, and is that his fault? Is it not? In Andrew Jones's case, like the dude basically stopped trying for multiple seasons and then never came back, right? And that's something that you can kind of hold against him in a more real way, in the way that, like, if you look at a David Wright or you look at a Felix or even, you know, someone like Utley, right? Utley was not very good for the last few seasons of his career. And in some stupid ways, it almost diminishes the peak. But also, um, I don't I don't know. I think it is going to be very case by case. But I think this kind of context will probably come up more as we talk about players. But I know you kind of took this in a slightly different direction. Well, I just want to say, okay, good example. 2014 Justin Verlander with the mm. Tigers. He's 31 years old. Okay. 
He has already won a Cy Young and MVP and finished second in a Cy Young. His 20s are incredible. He comes out at age 31, a year where he should still be good, and posts a 4-5-4 ERA in 200 innings. Now, his FIP is a little bit better than that, but the stuff is down and the strikeouts are down. He leads baseball in earned runs allowed. Okay, this is supposed to be his peak, and it is not. And it takes him a little bit of time to kind of recapture Justin Verlander's Justin Verlanderness, and he does, and then he rebounds, and now he's, you know, one of the greatest pitchers of a generation, no conversation at all. I am impressed by that. I am impressed in some ways by a mid-career valley mm-hmm. that a player is skilled and talented enough to climb out of. However, there's also something about the end and beginning of career slide that I find boring because it's basic. Okay, so you have the uh, Mike Trout or Aaron Judge first half season in the big league scuffle where we cannot say that Mike Trout was never bad. And maybe that is unfair, but he came yeah. up in 2011, played 40 games and was bad. Like he was a bad big leaguer. Since then, pretty good. <laughs> Goat. Okay. Pretty good. <laughs> right. right, right. I I would say like my biggest takeaway is that especially because this was the context that it came up in, I like using it more in a reverential sense than in a, that's why that guy shouldn't get in, right? And I understand why he's bringing up Andrew Jones, and I think that that's super fair, and like that is an interesting part of it. But it is also a reminder of, and I think I wrote this when I wrote the Helton piece originally, like, so much of Hall of Fame discourse now is like, why shouldn't he get in? <laughs> like, that is really where we start the conversation with so many of these players that are not Adrian Beltre and not, you know, the obvious guys is why they shouldn't. And so that's why we, we jump to that. Uh, compared to, I just think it's like, that's why he was one of the greatest players. That's why he should be, you know, in Cooperstown, because you mentioned whether it is someone bouncing back from a a mid-career, you know, shitty season or someone that somehow manages to end up at the, at the top, at the end, like a Posey, like a Pujols, um, that kind of demonstrates their greatness. But even like a Maurer, where, like I said, he, he wasn't bad. <laughs> he was, he aged uh, gracefully. It, it, he did not fall off a cliff at any point. Um, and that I do think is something that you can you can credit in a way that Utley, Utley was bad at the end, right? And that's where where you say, okay, the difference between Utley and Maurer is it that big of a difference? Utley's got more war, whatever. The peaks are similar, okay. But like we saw Utley be a not very good player for multiple seasons in a way we didn't see from Maurer. There's also like not letting yourself go. Which again, that's we'll talk about with Hanley Ramirez <laughs> next year. Like you can find a lot of players where it's not even necessarily injuries, where it's like that dude was a Hall of Famer. Um, and if you really want to argue, you could say Felix, right? Like there is there are some indications that that there is some part of that too. But I think that's a slightly different discussion. But either way, like there are a lot of players like that um, where it's like, damn, he sure looked like a Hall of Famer, and then uh, not so much. I just fell down a. Mike Trout rabbit hole as we we're talking yeah, about man. him. Well, he's so that's pretty good. Mike Trout mm-hmm. has the same number of steals since, since 2020. Yeah. Mike Trout's as, done, running. done running. As Jared Triolo. Yep. Yep. People are like who? As as Shinsu Chu. <laughs> Mike Trout and Shinsu Chu have the same number yeah. of steals since 2020. Well, he got hurt on a steal, um, right? He broke his thumb. I don't even remember what year that was. Um, and then that was pretty much game over. Uh, Mookie Betts is also just done stealing bases. There are just players who are just decided like, no, okay, we're, we're done with this. We're not, we're not running anymore. He uh, has fewer steals than Daz Cameron. Cause by the way, Mike Trout still fast. Not, he has not gotten slower. That's not the issue. Even though you would assume he has gotten slower, he's had lower body injuries too. He's gigantic. He's getting older. No, he's he's still. I I don't know what his he's been above ninety percentile sprints. I believe every year of his career. So, just one more steal than Yadier Molina since twenty twenty. There you go. Damn salute, uh, Mike Trout. That'd be funny if like he that now that he's. I just I don't know what the hell to make of him. He's just going to be the best DH in the league, and he's going to hit 50 homers again. Like it's here, here, here's a take. 
it's more likely that Mike Trout hits, when I say 60, I'll say 50 home runs in a season than he steals 10 bases in a season. Yeah, that's a great bet. That's a great bet. Uh, All right, we've reached the hour mark. Let's (laughs) tap it out, Jordan. We're We're out of here. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, you said there were two more emails, so if you're listening, you'll just have to wonder. Maybe you were that last email that we didn't get to read. Damn. Uh, You can email us at baseball. Sliding doors moment at gmail.com thank you to producer chris for putting this together um we'll be back on wednesday likely just me and mike farron uh and then hopefully later this week but stay tuned a lot of stuff going on jake mints you can leave it at that yeah yeah Yeah. all right anyway thanks for listening we love and appreciate all of you uh and we'll talk to you all very soon bye Serious XM Podcasts.